Welcome to Tech London, a show featuring interviews with London's top creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agencies, internet marketers, and freelancers that make up the Tech London online community, which mostly lives on the Slack instant messaging platform. We rotate through both hosts and guests for these interviews, so you have the chance to hear from multiple perspectives on London's tech scene. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's exciting episode of the Tech London podcast. Um, and we've got Danae back in the studio. Danae, what are you known for now, and what would you like to be known for? Right now, I'm known for being a person who can help with people whose employers are really messing them about. And that's what I want to be known for, too, just by a lot more people. <laughs> And you're you're killing it on TikTok. And since since um, I've, I've just had a little lesson about how to hold my mic if I go on TikTok. But before we came on, we were talking about how the, the market's changed, about how revenue's growing, which is always very interesting for our, our like techie startupy people. So um, how are you? How are you? I mean, obviously you're growing revenue by making more sales, but how are you growing revenue? What's influencing that? And what's the market place doing? Because it, it seems. As much as I love the UK, it's just in in my lifetime, I've never seen it in more of a shitstorm and between the economics and the social injustice. So what can yeah. you do with that very garbled question? <laughs> yeah, it's um it's really interesting. So as a reminder, um my company is a self-representation platform for employees to stand up against illegal behavior from their employers. And what is really playing out in the labor market at a wider level is in 2020, the status quo suddenly upended and suddenly employees had so much power because um, there was not enough work. There was too much work for all the people that could do it. And you saw that carrying over into 2021. And then in 2022, the employers kind of struck back. And I would say even the market, the overall market struck back with these mass redundancies what they called a correction for the 2021 hiring sprees and um, the rise of inflation, which isn't actually much inflation so much as it's corporate kind of um, corporate price gouging. And a lot of this at a macro level is about trying to keep the workforce in its place and trying to not let them get too big for their boots as they were starting to get according to these um, kind of higher forces in um, 2021. And then you saw this kind of pitched warfare happening between the labor side. So unions, we're seeing strikes now. We're seeing strikes for the first time on a large scale in probably a generation. And we're then seeing these employers trying to flex their, you have to come back into the office. They're reneging on agreements. You've got Elon Musk, who's suddenly empowering a bunch of people in all kinds of different businesses to start acting like a jerk to employees again and saying, oh, you know, like diversity was just an experiment that failed. Flexible working was just an experiment that failed. We need to go back to the old ways. But employees have had a taste and they don't want to go back to the old ways. And so 2023 is really this year of con conflict happening. And then we see that at the micro level every day where, you know, we have somebody who their employer has reneged on a contract about going um, remote working or the kind of like diversity is over. You need to just um, do exactly as I say. All that kind of stuff is is playing out at the micro level um, at Vala. Is there, because um, I, I get 
you know, my heart stops when I hear that because one one of the things we did in the, in the co-working universe, it took us like three years to do it. Is um, and I'd like you to think I did it, but it was actually lots of smart people. Um, we wrote a book which was the it's a, it's a handbook about diversity, inclusion, equity, and um, accessibility. Mm. And at the beginning of that, um. I thought I knew what I was talking about. And now I know I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I was amazed. You know, the fact that people in our little co-working industry were paying attention to that and it got traction. And as through the process of doing that, my, my main contribution was doing a few podcasts about it. And the amount of stuff that came out of our little industry was um, about sexual misconduct, misconduct, sorry, um, uh, you know, you can you can imagine. Um, it was like amazing. And what made me start this is the is a diversity thing. I thought we'd taken like a, a massive, well overdue leap forward. And I don't understand how people, you know, like Elon and other people, can walk around going, "Oh, it was all a mistake," or "It's all over." It's like I, I feel this is a very naive thing to say, but how can they get away with that? I think it's the established, remember, power is never given, it's only ever taken. And there is established people in power who are very reluctant to give that up. And I think diversity in 2020 through 2022, diversity was, to put it bluntly, kind of trendy. Um, for the kinds of people that don't really care about it. They saw it as a differentiator in a hot talent market to um, attract the right people. I think a lot of them were even well-intentioned, but they certainly weren't prepared to actually give any real power to um, anyone or make any real fundamental change. And what we're seeing now is it's almost like a, like someone like Elon has given permission for the people who never really cared about this in the first place to start um, trying to change the narrative back to, okay, well, this isn't fashionable anymore. And, and like, it, it's like in America in the 1970s, especially in the fashion industry, like black is beautiful was like a trendy thing for all the um, fashion designers to do for a couple of years. And then they went back to being institutionally racist even more. And with every step like that, you are making progress because a number of people have learned a lot more about the injustices that are built into our society. But it doesn't mean that the people who have power are just going to hand it over and they want things to go back to the way that they were. And they want people to stop making things hard for them. They found that, you know, actually doing diversity, which is what they committed to do, was actually a really hard thing to do. And they'd really rather not have to do that. And so now they want to paint it as a failed experiment. It, it, it is. Um, the uh, it being nice is very inconvenient. Uh, like yeah. in, in, our, in our team, um, halfway through, uh, someone, I'm not going to get into details, but like, you know, people for, uh, very obviously valid reasons had to, you know, tap out at some point and that left, you know, thing websites weren't built and, you know, even, I mean, one, one obvious part of, part of our company has a um, development team from Ukraine. And obviously that was a little bit of effect, bit of a problem in the supply chain. And, and it does, it, 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 it screws you up and the effort of, finding out how to resolve it is is the long way around but it's absolutely the right thing to do 
Well, yeah, it, this is such a good example because the highest performing teams are diverse teams, but we often don't really look at the next part of that stat, which is why, why are they the highest performing teams? And it's because diversity creates friction and a team that can iterate through that friction, that necessary friction and solve those problems becomes more high performing. They're more resilient of a team. They, you know, they have better kind of capacity planning, etc. The second highest performing team is a completely homogenous team where there's very, very low friction. It doesn't mean that they're going to be the highest performing. Like I would even go so far as to say they might be just better than mediocre, but they're going to do pretty good too. And what I'm seeing at, at that macro level is a lot of people who are very uncomfortable with that friction and thinking, this isn't, this isn't worth it to me. This is really hard. I'd like to go back to good enough. And, you know, you see companies saying, you know, this is just who we are and we're going to hire people who believe in this. They're choosing the slightly above mediocre option in order to not have to be uncomfortable with the friction diversity causes and the performance diversity yields. That is, that is very interesting. Um, it is. It could, so th that's something like as soon as I walk into just every role I've ever had in life, as soon as I walk into a room full of people, even before I knew all the stuff we're talking about today, which was only in the last two years, I found it out. But um, <laughs> the, even when I walked into a room full of people like me, I just knew it was going to be boring. Mm. Um, and, and I actually absolutely found it uninspiring and would kind of go into, um, what is it when I sort of go into airplane mode or autopilot <laughs> and then when I, I work with, um, I probably work on a team, not even probably or definitely, um, I work on a team of mainly women. There's about 80% women mm -hmm. and, some things I just cannot say anymore, which I used to think were okay. Mm. And, and even that is challenging, not challenging, you know, let's put that in perspective, but, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just enlightening um, as well. Yeah. It, the irony to me is, you know, we're, we're in an industry and in technology where we're always looking for the outsized returns, the outlying returns, the outlying performance, you know, good enough is never good enough. And we even know how to get to those outsized outlying returns. But growth is discomfort. You cannot have growth without discomfort. And what we haven't learned to do as an industry is to really embrace that discomfort, find how it helps us, you know, get those 10x, 100x um, performance levels and, and really celebrate that. Instead, we seem to be kind of reacting to the discomfort just like you were saying there um that kind of you know that's that's a challenge it's like it's, it's uncomfortable and you know a lot of people aren't used to being that uncomfortable and that's not bad it's just it's new so we always think uh, this is my little thing because people love to get all you know pumped up on yeah you know what, what triggered that is you said the word 10x and it was like yeah let's 10x our results then you know i'm from a high performing team and, and i find that exhausting <laughs> so so that that level of like you know pumping iron in the gym and you know staying up late at night you know not sleeping for four days to launch a product you know that area of discomfort seems to be okay 
but the the area of com- discomfort we're talking about seems much is it is it because it's uncharted or inconvenient or like what, what why why are we all right to literally kill ourselves staying up for four days to launch a product and you know pump iron but we we don't want to like have awkward conversations which are kind of more brain power but less physical energy I think because it's coded feminine instead of coded masculine. So, you know, you're you're allowed to be uncomfortable if you're not sleeping or things like that. That's like that machismo kind of idea. That's an acceptable kind of work and it's an acceptable um kind of idea of what work and performance looks like. Um the discomfort of anything relating to emotion, interpersonals, anything like that. Because it's coded so feminine and therefore weak, unnecessary, not valuable, then it's almost like a double whammy because it's uncomfortable to begin with. And then there's this societal pressure of saying, why would I invest in, you know, doing this when this is weak? This is something I shouldn't be focusing on. I should just plow through or tell them to, you know, um, pull them up by their bootstraps or whatever nonsense that you kind of hear. So I think there's a real kind of, judgment man up that's, yeah that's, that's the one that sometimes that comes out my mouth without me even thinking like i don't i don't want to say that and and i'll just go my son will do something and i'll go like oh you got a man up and then i'll stop myself and then you know my my wife throws a spear from the end of the yeah uh, <laughs> the end of the house into my heart but it's just it's like kind of autopilot behavior and it's just not okay to say that and i know why it's not okay to say that but it just when, when without thinking it just comes out and it's horrible it does well we've been this is the society that we we have to i've been saying this a lot lately we have to live in the society that we're trying to change and we have to navigate this all the time i mean the fact that you most of the work to begin with is actually just recognizing where you're you know just parroting something and then having to really examined if you mean it what it means what it's contributing to what it's actually telling um even just the act of examining it is really quite radical and then everything beyond that is the work that has to be done next but until you can examine it um you know you can't do anything and i think yeah we've been doing a lot of examining lately and it's just that some people are like i'd like to stop examining now i'd like to just go back to the very comfortable thing that happened before that was comfortable for me but not for a lot of other people so um i I think because just in my little you know universe uh there's it was like you know exhausted by covid and george floyd and lockdown and and all that stuff and then there was this like period of um kind of accelerated indecision and people were like exhausted you know in the ukraine um russia's invasion of ukraine so there's that was exhausting like at a for everyone and then there was like the aftermath of exhausting and now there's like this other level of exhausting that um some people around me that are normally i know on it i know whatever that means like enthusiastic are are, are kind of going i just need a rest now you know and i think some of those people kept others like me going throughout the the thing and maybe it's i know we need one last push to get to where we could go rather than going back Does that, did that come out right yeah i i see this trend a lot of um amongst a lot of people who have the privilege to be able to take a rest um because it is exhausting it really is and um 
and we, you and I, do have the privilege to be able to step back from it if we want to or if we need to, um, because, you know, a lot of people need to step back from it but can't. And it's a, um, it's a tricky, I think The Good Ally is a great book about this um, where it talks a lot about um, what allyship means and how you can navigate the you know, how you navigate being like, I'm exhausted by this. I can choose to step back. So I'm going to versus I know that other people can't move away from all of this. And, you know, is my guilt helpful and all that kind of stuff. Is that Nova Reed? Yeah. Nova Reed's The Good Ally. It's a fantastic yeah. book. Um, but I mean, bringing that back to a workplace context, it's still there for all the people who are working in the company. It's still there and even worse for, you know, a trans woman, for example, right now, or, you know, um, well, today is Eid. And, um, you know, our colleagues who um, are celebrating Eid aren't getting recognition or aren't getting the day off or whatever it is. So the way I think about it is, you know, especially for anybody who has a responsibility, luckily, this isn't a responsibility that has a tax. It's actually a responsibility that has a has like a real clear benefit to it. You know, some responsibilities are only downsides, but this is a responsibility with a real upside to, um, to really lean into that discomfort and find ways to regenerate or maintain a constant kind of level of energy for what they often call the work. Um, because we're, we're moving into a time right now where everybody's kind of defaulting back to comfort because everything's just too overwhelming those who can push through the discomfort and truly innovate and work in a way that is so much more highly productive in the end, I mean, they're going to get the outsized returns in this kind of an economy and in this kind of a labor market. Um, what do you mean innovate? Because that's a trigger word for me. Sorry. Right. Mm, so um, there's a, uh, I think I've talked to you, I think I've mentioned to you before that concept of VUCA. Um, the U.S. military coined it after the Cold War started. It stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And it was them trying to like grapple with the fact that war didn't make sense anymore and the enemy didn't make sense anymore. And it wasn't everything was changing all the time. It was hard to measure. And they were just kind of like, what the hell is going on? And um, if you read, oh, goodness, what's her name? It'll come back to me. Um if you read about how to... Brené? Mel? <laughs> no, this one's called uh, The Fearless Organization. And if you read about how how do you actually perform in a VUCA environment? Because, you know, if you think about, like, the kind of factory model that we've all worked to that was created for steel mills, and it was a reliable, predictable, understandable set of work that needed to be done that could be optimized, and Taylorism. but we are no longer in reliable, predictable territory. We don't have someone, one person who can just walk in and solve everything for us. We have the smallest unit of innovation is now a team, not an individual, because one individual just cannot hold all the VUCA in the world. And so if the unit of innovation has to be at the team level, then you have to find a way to navigate this VUCA thing constantly which means that you're constantly having to change all the time and come up with new ideas and test them. And so to me, I always think, you know, this is down to that smallest unit of team and that is a 
innovation machine that we have to build and the innovation, because I hate the word too, from the kind of RC perspective, that innovation is literally just making our way through this miasma of uncertainty that we're constantly finding ourselves in business and societally. Cause it, cause I hate when, when people say, um, high performing innovation leaders, I just, uh, but, um, there, there is like, is that, that's, is it Amy? Um, so I'm, I'm looking at things here at hundred miles an hour. Is it Amy C Edmondson? Is that who it is? Yeah. That book that's, is fantastic. Oh, that's, you know, and I'm very excited because it's included with my audible membership. <laughs> the, 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 the universe is looking after me because every, like last few weeks, every time someone says a book and I look like, probably if, if i got if i got like a pound for every time i look up a book on audible i would have a private jet on 24 hour standby but um it's uh it's amazing how many are included that that is um that felt more like a therapy session at the end there because that that, that constantly um shifting adapting um working it out because you know it's not like we you know me and my folks work in a uh on a, a war zone or a, a hospital or something but um that we're connected to a lot of people and there's this constant uncertainty and change, which is um, kind of halfway between exciting and fatiguing and whatever's going on, it's anxiety in producing, you know, and, and um, it, you have to be, you have to be aware, don't you? You absolutely do. Um, you absolutely do. And Sorry, I'm distracted because somebody's just started a chainsaw outside my house. <laughs> uh, that's that's okay. We're we're um. I'm sure there's a chainsaw short chainsaw joke there. So what um, where where can we find you online? And is there any last thought you want us to? Uh, I'll put links in the show notes to everything we talked about, folks, including um, Danae's amazing TikTok. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's probably the best place to find me um, first is vala.uk on TikTok. That's V-A-L-L-A. Um, and you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. It's D-A-N-A-E Shell. And that's probably the two best ways to get hold of me. Thank you. And just in case Zara, our producer, doesn't manage to get the chainsaw out of it, um, apologies for that. But this is this is, this is is how we keep it real, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for your time today, Danae. Folks, if you go to techlondon.io and you can join the Slack channel there, it's only a pound to join the Slack channel, and that's to avoid bots and chat DGBs and Elon Musk joining. Um, and we do, we'll put a link in the show notes to the Creator Right Club, which is every day from 10 till 12 in a different London co-working space, whatever you need to write, whether it's a sales letter or a tribunal letter or a, or a letter to um, Blue Peter, um, you can come and sit around a table with like-minded people, get your work done and have a coffee and connect with people because um, part of one of the best things for your mental health is meeting other human beings on the journey. Say goodbye, Danae. Goodbye, Danae. <laughs> <laughs>You've been listening to The Tech London Show. If you're interested in joining the community or even making an appearance on this show, make sure you join our Slack group over at techlondon.io. Till next time.